All right, we'll take your Bibles tonight and go to uh, the book of Job in chapter number 40. And we'll stand in honor of God's word here this evening. Job in chapter number 40. As you're finding your place, I had opportunity and a blessing to speak with Brother Jonathan Burgett for a little while uh, last night and just a good time of fellowship. So they, of course, appreciate this church and uh, your prayers for them and just kind of touching base with them. Miss Tabitha's MS, you know, is causing some struggles and difficulties. So keep praying for Miss Tabitha. Got to see her as well and a couple of the kids as they were getting ready to go to school and and things of that nature. So and they watch the services here and keep up with what's going on and uh, really seem to be doing quite well. It's a it's a blessing. I want to thank the Lord for that. Okay, well, here we are in Job chapter number 40, and uh, we're just going to start in verse number uh, 15, and then we're just going to keep reading right into chapter 41, okay? It's just going to flow and, and just uh, keep moving here. Um, I'd like to promise I'm not going to make any comments, but I'm, not, I'm, not just, I'm just not going to do that. You know, I don't know that I won't. I don't know that I will for sure, but I just want to uh, try to get to uh, hear the word before us so we can consider it together. God says, Behold now, behemoth, which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength that is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar, and the sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Everybody notice that? He that made him. So evidently it is a real created creature. <laughs> All right. Surely the mountains bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees and in the covered of of the reed and fins, the shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes, his nose pierceth through snares. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook or his tongue with a cord? which thou lettest down, canst thou put a hook into his nose <laughs> or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Will he make any supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? Do you hear a little bit of sarcasm going on right there? Um, will he make a covenant with thee Wilt thou take him for a servant forever? Wilt thou play with him as with a bird? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? Shall the companions make a banquet of him? And shall they part him among the merchants? Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? Lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle, do no more. Guarantee you won't do that again. That's what that verse is saying. Yeah. You may do it once, but you'll, you'll, you won't forget that fight. If you live. Verse 9, Behold, 
The hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? Now, now notice verse 10 and 11. It, it actually is the key to this chapter uh, in our, our time together tonight. None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine, God says. Everybody still with me? All right. Verse 12, I, am, I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely proportion. And then he begins to describe more about this Leviathan God does to Job. Who can discover the face of his garment? And who can come to him with his double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. His scales are his pride that are shut up together as with a close seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together. There cannot be, they cannot be sundered. By his kneesings a light doth shine. Uh, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke and out of his, uh, as out of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals and a, a flame goeth out of his mouth. And his neck remaineth strength and sorrow is turned into joy before him. The flakes of his skin are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. Notice verse 24. His heart is as firm as a stone, yea, as hard as a piece of the nether millstone. When he raiseth up himself, the mighty are afraid. By reason of breakings, they purify themselves. The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold. The spear, the dart, nor the habergeon. He esteemeth iron as straw. You think you're going to come after him with iron? He'll treat it like a piece of straw. Or brass as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned uh, with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laughed at the shaking of a spear. Sharp stones are under him. He spreadeth sharp pointed things upon the mire. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. He maketh the path to shine after him and would think the deep to be hoary upon earth. There is not his like who is made without fear. He beholdeth all high things. He is king over all the children of pride. You say, I didn't understand everything I read right there. Well, I didn't either. I did not either until I started really studying it out and trying to understand what in the world is this beast called Leviathan. Okay, we're two chapters away from being complete with our series, a two-year series. Actually, by the time we get back to it, it'll be exactly two years, nearly to the Wednesday night that we started. Um, in our series, Trust God in the Trial. It's what we've got to learn over and over and over and over again. 
is simple and yet deep. Trust God in the trial. So the title tonight is this, The Danger of Confronting God. The Danger of Confronting God. Don't approach God expecting an apology. Don't, don't approach God expecting an apology. I want, I want you to consider that with me here tonight. And I, I believe it's right here in the text. There's something that I had not noticed personally before that I want to try to get across here tonight. So let's, let's trust the Lord that it would come across that way. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing for a little while. And we'll get right to it here tonight. In uh, Job 40 that we covered last Wednesday night, the Lord is uh, dealing with Job and he's dealing specifically with Job's um, statements or accusation that judgment had, had been put from him. If you remember that, Job 27, 2, and chapter 9 has it, chapter 13, a few other passages have it where Job is saying, look, I, I, I want to make my case. If I could, I'd make my case before God. I would come before him and I'd present my case and I would show that I'm innocent and he would agree with me that I'm innocent. And, and we are privileged, as we've said, nearly week by week. And I hope you haven't grown weary of it, but it's just, it's just uh, you got to know that to get the book of Job. But, but we know some things that Job did not know. And, and yet God is dealing with Job. And he's, and he's pointing out that Job was wrong to say that God was not dealing with him in justice. Job was wrong. And, and, and um, I said last week, I'm repeating it again. Job is one of our heroes of the faith and rightly so. He maintained his integrity. We're going to see a beautiful picture in chapter 42. But, but the very fact that Job had to come to a place of repentance tells us that there's part of this where Job wasn't thinking right. And I'm not going to be hard on Job and I don't think you are either, right? Because if I were under the same pressure and difficulties of life, in fact, I've, I've been a lot um, more quickly discouraged and even upset by a lot lesser things than what Job was. I mean, I didn't even like it tonight that I had to tie my tie twice. You know what I mean? Now, those of you that have tied a tie a few times, I tied it one time too long, you know, and then had to tie it again. You know, wouldn't it be nice if they just automatically fell right in place, you know, and I can get aggravated about little stuff like that. We all can, you know, and we think everything's supposed to just, just go right. It's supposed to go right because, you know, we're God's people. And if you're going to wear a tie, we're ought to make it supernaturally just work out right. Okay, now that's silly, but I mean, we can get upset about all kinds of things that really don't even matter at all. So I'm just saying to you, I don't want to come across in any way like, well, Job, what's wrong with him? No, because honestly, if you and I were under a lot of those same exact circumstances, I think we'd be thinking a lot of the same things that Job was thinking. If we would be honest about it and say, I don't understand this. In fact, it doesn't seem right that this is going on. It doesn't seem right that the wicked are getting away with all kinds of stuff. And here I am trying to serve the Lord and look. So I think we've, we would also be guilty. So, uh, but nonetheless, God is dealing with Job and he says, Job, I understand. If I could just kind of get into a little bit of a dialogue here. I understand, Job, that you don't agree with the way that I'm running the universe. So how about if you can take care of all the injustices? Now, you're going to have to deal with all the injustices. You can't just deal with select cases. You're going to have to deal with all of them if you're going to be God. 
Okay, now I'm adding a little bit more sarcasm to it than what maybe is there in the text. But nonetheless, that's the inference of it is that God is saying to Job, Job, I'm going to have to, I'll let you deal with all the injustices of the world and I'll step aside, I'll resign and let you fill out this resume right here on being God if you want that application, if you want to apply for that job. Now, every one of us here would, would say, well, I would never say that, but we've thought things that would imply I don't like the way that God is doing things or I don't like, maybe we would say this, it's not that I don't like what he's doing, I don't like what he's allowing. I don't like who he allowed to be president, I don't like how cold that it is, I don't like how much snow is that, I don't like how hot it is in July, I, don't, I mean we can give a list, right? And we think that we could run the universe better. And so when God confronted Job about all this, I, I just want to hit this real quick and then we'll have to move on because we've got some ground to cover tonight. But Job was silent and he says, you know, I've spoken once and I've spoken twice, but I'm not going to say another thing because it seems like to me, the more that I say, the deeper I dig this hole. Now, every one of us have been there. And he's saying, I'm not saying anymore. Now, he didn't take back all that he said. And so God's going to deal with him more to bring him to chapter 32. And I think that all of us are in danger of living a chapter 40 life when God is working to bring us to a chapter 42 life. In other words, we are subdued. We know we ought not say these things. We are subdued when God wants to bring us to a place of submission. Now, that's a lot of work right there. In my life, how about yours? To bring me not to a place where I'm just subdued, but I'm submitted. It's where God wants to bring us uh, all. And so the part of the text probably that we've picked up on and that we've emphasized in God's speech to Job that began in chapter, what, 38, if I'm remembering all that right, as he says, uh, well, actually it begins before that, talking about the universe, but I'm thinking about specifically the animals. As he says, what about the mountain goat? Do you know when they're going to calf and, 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 or give forth their young? And, and what about, you know, the deer? And what about uh, the ostrich? And what about all these animals? Can you manage them? I see, Job, that you run a big operation here. You can manage a lot of livestock, a lot of domesticated animals. How do you do with wild ones? So there are things that Job did not know and there were things that Job could not control with small animals. You know, when, as I uh, took some ag classes in, in Kentucky, then we had small animal technology, and then you had some larger livestock that we'd study. We'd study sheep, but we'd also study cattle and horses and so forth. There's a difference, obviously. God is saying, I know how you do with some smaller animals. How do you do with some bigger ones? And thus he begins a discussion on behemoth and Leviathan. So there would be some things that uh, Job maybe would know and wouldn't know about these two uh, monstrous animals in terms of their size and, and also in terms of their, of their uh, fierce ways. And so um, no doubt God is getting this across to Job. Job, what makes you think you can run things when you can't control the mountain goats? What makes you can think you can control things if you can't control the horses even? What makes you think you can control things if you can't control behemoth and if you can't control Leviathan? That's definitely come across in this passage. We've dealt with that, right? Everybody get that? We've seen that. 
there's something going on here that was a little bit different that I had to kind of delve into. And I, I think that, we, that we'll consider it here tonight. God is saying to Job, Job, you better be careful about the way that you approach me. I, um, you know, with my dad having horses and us working with horses together, I learned some things about horses that you better be careful the way that you approach them. You know, you don't want to spook a horse, number one. They'll get right on top of you. So I, I would often, you know, I'd, especially dad, you know, shod horses. And so he, he didn't train me on actually shoeing horses, but, but how to clean out their hooves and, and to step into that back leg and, and, and put the foot up there and, and do some trimming and all that. So I've done a little bit of that, that work. But I guarantee you what I'd do, you, I'd start on that horse on this side up here at the shoulder. In fact, I wouldn't mind just to start at his, at his nose and let him smell me and then come back. And then I'm going to step, I'm going to run my hand all the way down his back. And then I'm going to come up and I'm going to step into it like that. Or I'm going to run down my hand down his leg and pick up that front leg and, 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 and hold it right here. Are you with me? Are you following me? In other words, I'm letting him know every move I make very carefully because he's a lot bigger than I am and he weighs a whole lot more. And he bites and he kicks and he can squash you up against a wall. I learned that. All right. I learned that. Okay, you got to be careful the way you deal, even with the horse. All right, now, now here we're talking about these two big animals, behemoth and leviathan. All right, behemoth, we mentioned it a little bit last week, behemoth. The word behemoth is actually plural, uh, the O-T-H ending on it, that's a plural ending, but all the verbs in the, in the context are singular verbs. So it's probably saying this, a behemoth, uh, God made the cattle of the field, the beast of the field, the behemoth, the behemoth, behemoth rather, I'm sorry. And so that the plural form of that would be behemoth. But it's probably a plural of majesty, which simply means this, he's big and you better respect him. He's so big, he's plural. <laughs> okay, you get what I'm saying? This is a massive animal, all right, massive animal. Okay, um, and so even, okay, just, just a reference here, even the name Elohim, many of you know that name, Elohim, it's actually plural, but it always has, when in reference to the God of gods, the true and living God, always with the singular verbs, okay? Not the gods are, but the God who is, all right? So it's the same dynamic going on here. So this is the, the king of the beasts that are on the land at the time Job was living. I believe, based on this text, obviously, God made behemoth. Behemoth is not a mystical character or a mystical animal. In other, in other words, or even just think about it this way, why would Job need to be afraid of a mythical character or a mythical animal? All he had to do was just shut the storybook. And he would not have to be afraid of behemoth. But Job and his contemporaries understood that behemoth was the real deal. Now, when you look up behemoth, you'll see things like um, water ox or water horse or, or uh, hippopotamus. <laughs> uh, you'll see it quite often. A lot of, a lot of the commentaries uh, talk about the hippopotamus. Probably that would be about as close or maybe an elephant, something in our minds that we could maybe relate to that's a modern day animal uh, that would be of that size. A, a male hippopotamus 
weighs anywhere, as I studied, between 3,500 pounds up to 9,970 pounds. Boom! That's big. We won't talk about what the female hippo weighs, but <laughs> actually she weighs less. These were massive animals. Now they seem so cute, don't they? I'm talking about a hippo. I'm, I'm just dealing with this here for just a minute, kind of get our minds thinking about it. I mean, they're cute. I mean, come on, hungry, hungry hippo? I mean, they just made a game of it, right? Well, they'd eat like 88 pounds a night. No wonder it's hungry hippo. That's a lot of food that this massive beast, and, but I'm telling you, maybe there's no animal more dangerous than a hippo. I guarantee you, you don't get out of the safari truck and say, oh, look, there's a bunch of hippo, hippos, or hippi. <laughs> Poor, I don't know. I'm just winging it here. There's a bunch of them. You don't get out of the vehicle and go approach them. Why? Because they're dangerous. Now, I, I personally believe, based on this text and, and even some reading I did uh, today out of Answers in Genesis, that behemoth and Leviathan most likely are animals that are now extinct, but that were not extinct in the days of Job. And they would know about them. Um, Dinosaur-sized creatures. I mean, we're, we're talking about huge animals. Okay. So the main point in the text is simply this. You've got to be careful when you're around behemoth. You don't take it lightly because uh, he's not afraid of the river. Why? He weighs 9,000 pounds like the river is going to knock him down. No, he's solid. He's not afraid of you when you come at him. He's, he is a mass of an animal and he will stand his ground. That's behemoth. Now, there's a lot more we could say about Behemoth. There's a lot more details in the text about Behemoth in terms of his size and the way that he's made and all those things. But the main thing that we're supposed to get is he's big. He's a land-dwelling animal predominantly that, it, that goes into the river. So it does have a lot of similarities to a hippo, but I think probably not exactly that way, but probably something that is now extinct, but that God made. Amen. Now, Leviathan. Leviathan. <laughs> Interesting study. Probably a, uh, another animal that is now extinct. You'll see things, though, when you read commentaries. Some say crocodile. Well, you know, I mean, the crocodile hunter can take some of those down, right? So maybe not uh, crocodile, I don't know, but um, then you'll also see a whale. Well, this whale would, oh, by the way, about the, about the hippo, back to Behemoth, just a minute. The thing that really throws it off of uh, just a regular hippo is that it says his tail is like a cedar. Hippo doesn't quite get that. That kind of disqualifies him. All right, on to back to Leviathan. Some say, well, uh, in fact, this word Leviathan, both of these words are just transliterated, meaning they just come out of the Hebrew right into, uh, into the English. All right. So Leviathan um, is, is said, uh, the word itself, I want to get to my notes here because I, I, I just, uh, I want to try to pass this on. The word Leviathan comes from a verb that means to twist or to wind. And so it's, it moves very quickly, with speed and agility. It's used just six times in the Old Testament, this word Leviathan. It's used actually in Psalm 104. It says there, um, O Lord, how manifold 
are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is the great and wide sea wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There, there is that Leviathan. So it was in the sea, right? Behemoth is predominantly on the land or has that ability, whereas Leviathan is in the sea. And, but then there's a reference in Isaiah 27 that refers to the crooked serpent, that Leviathan, that dragon, and, and so all that is there. Now, listen, I don't believe for one second that this either is a mythological creature. Because Job would not have to be afraid of a mythological creature because he knows that, that, it, that it is like Sasquatch. It's not real. Now, some of you want to differ with me right there. Okay, we better, we got to keep moving here. But here's Leviathan and its power and, and ability. And so uh, it's, it's interesting, though, that even just about two years ago in Peru, there was a rather large fossil found that was like a whale size and had some other features that I don't want to necessarily get into it. But it has teeth on the upper and the lower that are massive teeth. It's interesting. In fact, scientists says Leviathan. They, they actually gave it the name Leviathan uh, Melville out of Moby Dick and, and, and Melville and kind of a combination of those two words. In other words, they're recognizing this is a big fish, 56 feet long, massive teeth, said it could eat, you know, a fish, another fish that's 20 something feet long. If you're a, tw a fish 20 something feet long, you think, man, I'm OK, I'm big. And then you met Leviathan, if that's a Leviathan. I'm not saying that it is. I'm just simply saying uh, eventually science catches up with the Bible. It's oftentimes how it is. So here's this Leviathan. And so uh, what kind of animal is this? I, I don't rightly know, to be very honest with you, but it is fierce and it certainly is not tameable and you don't put one in your aquarium. I guarantee it. Leviathan. I look at uh, images, you know, a, a picture sometimes maybe from the Weather Channel or something. You see a pic of, uh, of this individual that maybe is out there in a small boat. And he does not know that under his small boat, there is a massive shark. Or some guy out there surfing or something. And I'm telling you, it'll make you never want to get in over your ankles. It's crazy what kind of fish are there in the ocean, in the sea. So here's this Leviathan and, and, and some of the things that is said about him, if you just kind of follow along here, we'll work, work through the text. And I think that you'll get the idea of what God is saying here. He's saying basically to Job, Job, can you catch one? Can you take him by the hook? The obvious answer would be no. Verse two, have you put a hook in his nose? Will you bore his, his jaw through with the thorn? In other words, what he may be saying there is, will you make him your servant? Like in Exodus chapter 21, how that if a servant wanted to stay with his master, many of you are familiar with that, like if he's already served out his time and he's paid off his debt, if he wanted to stay with his master, he could have his ear bore through with an awl. Well, here is God saying to Job, Job, will you take Leviathan and maybe pierce his jaw so that he's your, your personal servant? <laughs> oh, verse three, look at this. Will he make supplications unto thee? In other words, is he going to beg to give, have you give him mercy? Is he going to talk softly with you, Job? Will, will he speak kindly with you because he's so terrified of you? The obvious answer to these questions is no, absolutely not. Will you play with him as with a bird? In other words, hey, Job, how about you make Leviathan one of your pets? <laughs> or how about better yet? Why don't you have one of your maidens get a leash and go take Leviathan for a walk? 
Not happening, is it? Mercy. Uh, look at verse number six. Shall the companions, companions make a banquet of him? In other words, you're going to have a big fish fry here? That would be one massive fish fry. Are you going to take him down to the market? That's the next part of the verse. Are you going to take him down to the market and sell uh, him for as part of the market? You're going to make a lot of revenue right there if you're able to do that. Can you fill his skin with barbed irons, verse 7, and his head with fish spears? I mean, think about all the weapons that God said. Are you going to use this with him? How about arrows and how about darts and how about spears and, and how about habergens and, and how about stones? You know, stones work with Goliath. Maybe it'd work with Leviathan. It's obvious. God is saying to Job, Job, there's no way that you can approach successfully this Leviathan. Okay. Um, let's, let's skip verse 10 and 11 here for just a moment. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, verse number uh, eight, lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle and do it no more. In other words, he's saying, if you get a hold of him, you're going to know it. I think about Ernest Hemingway's book, The Old Man in the Sea. Did you ever read that or hear that as he was uh, fishing for, for marlin and he was an aged man and he got the marlin, but it drug him out to sea. He was just hanging on for dear life because he didn't want to let it go. Anyways, you'll have to read it. It's quite fascinating. I'm not going to ruin it for you. I bet he didn't forget that one, though. Behold, the hope is, him, is in vain. In other words, it's, it's pointless to think that you're going to confront Leviathan and, and be successful. Shall not uh, one be cast down even at the sight of him? In other words, just the very sight of Leviathan is terrifying. I'll not conceal his parts. In the words, verse 12, he says, I'll, I'll tell you more about him and, and the doors of his face, his teeth are terrible, his scales. And in fact, verse 15 and, and verse 13 and verse 15 and then verse 23, all that talks about his scales being like armor, basically. A coat of mail, essentially, that, that's not going to be pierced. One is joined to another. No air can come between them. They're joined together, verse 17. And, and then it talks about, you know, his niecings, which would be like sneezing. And, 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 and so when he does that, it's like the, there's such power and force that is there. Does it breathe fire? I mean, that's what some of it is dealing with. And, and I'm not going to get into all that necessarily. Some say, well, maybe it's just the, the very uh, picture of just the ferocity of it and, and how that in, in the water, it sure seems like, you know, the, the, the uh, fire is coming out. In fact, the same terminology is used about God and how that he breathes out his nostrils smoke. It's in Psalm, I believe it's 81. And basically it's just a, a figure of speech saying God is great and powerful. And the same thing applied certainly at least to Leviathan. He's powerful. He's powerful. His neck has strength. His heart, verse number 24, his heart is as a stone. In other words, you're, you're not going to discourage him. He's, he's going to have his heart set on that. That might be what it's saying, but it may even be saying you're not going to be able to get to his kill zone. If you do hunting, then you understand you, uh, an animal has a kill zone. But here he's saying there's not a kill zone where you can take one out. That's Leviathan. He, when he raiseth up himself in verse 25, the mighty are afraid by reason of the breakings. They purify themselves. In other words, they get right in a hurry with God. God, deliver me from this Leviathan, if that's what that verse is saying. See. We've already covered verse uh, 26 and 27. Is he looks at iron like it's straw, brass like it's rotten wood, darts. He laughs at the spear. 
in, in the latter part of, parts of the verse, stones uh, are used against him, but that's to no avail. Verse 31, he makes the deep to boil. In other words, as he's going there on the bottom of the sea, he can churn it. It's like turning and churning a pot of ointment. And, and then verse 32, he maketh the path to shine after him. In other words, the wake you know, like when you're uh, in a boat and you look behind you, you see that wake. He says, listen, when you see the wake that goes behind this Leviathan, it's massive and it's silver and it's in its side and it's huge. This, this beast called Leviathan. On the earth, there's none like him made without fear. In other words, it is a real creature that was and it's made without fear. It was created. So uh, he's saying, listen, Job, this is one of the beings that I made. And if you can't control him, what makes you think you can correct me? It's the same argument that has been over and over throughout God's position to Job. But there's something there in verses 10 and 11 that I'd like to draw your attention back to here tonight. None is so fierce or none is so courageous. That's talking about mankind. None is so fierce that dare, everybody see that? That dare stir him up. In other words, all of your contemporaries, even among the warriors, they know you don't mess with Leviathan. You don't approach unto him. None is so fierce. None is so brave that they dare stir him up. Now look at verse 10, the latter part of it. Who then is able to stand before me? If you can't approach the creature, how much less should you approach the creator? You say, where, where do you see that? Well, look at verse number 11. Who hath prevented me? Who hath prevented me uh, that I should repay him? Prevented me. Now, I looked that word up. It literally means this, to come to meet who comes to meet me, prevented, who uh, comes in front of me. And in fact, I think the word that would help us probably the most is who would confront me? If you're not going to confront, here's, here's the rationale. If you're not going to confront behemoth and you're not going to confront Leviathan, what makes you think you can come and make charges against me and I'm the one who created Behemoth, and I'm the one that created Leviathan, and now you're making these charges and you want to take me to court. God is saying to Job. You might say, okay, I'm out. That I should repay him, that was interesting. Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? The word repay means just like what you think it means, recompense or make amends, make restitution. Are you following me here tonight? Who's, gonna, who's coming before me and saying to me, okay, this is God speaking. Now, we all, we all need to get this. This is God speaking and saying, who is it that comes before me and says to me that you owe me? 
that you need to repay me, that you need to recompense me, that God says that I need to make restitution with you. Repay. So interesting. The word repay comes from, well, the noun you would recognize, shalom. Shalom, peace. You know, it's a greeting in, among Hebrew-speaking people or Jewish people. Shalom, peace. Uh, may all be well with you. But the word peace means more than lack of fighting. It means wholeness, soundness. So this word repay means I'm going to make things sound where things have been broken or where I have broken these things, where I have offended, where I have done wrong, I'm going to repay it. All right. The same word is used in Exodus 21 and verse 34, that if a man dug a hole or a pit, as it is there in, in Exodus, if a man dug a pit and a donkey or an ox fell in that pit, and he knew it was a pit and he didn't, he did not fill the hole. Then the, the person that dug the hole would have to make it right. They would have to repay him. Are you following? He'd have to repay the loss. He, he, let me say it this way. The person that was negligent would have to make it good. God is saying, why are you coming before me saying to me that I need to make this good with you? Job, you're saying that I haven't been just. You're saying that I, I have put judgment aside. You won't approach behemoth you won't approach Leviathan. What makes you think that you can come all the way to the court of heaven and make a case against me where I've done you wrong? God is saying here, Job, I don't have anything to make good with you. I don't have anything to make good with you because I've only done you good. I've only done right to you. Last chapter, I know that the way things appear, it appears that I haven't been good and I haven't done right, but we cannot judge God's character based on how things appear. We've got to judge God's character based on how they really are. God is saying, Job, I have not been negligent. I don't have to pay or repay you for your losses. In other words, Job, God is saying, I don't owe you an apology. Hmm. The point of these two passages surprised me. I thought it was more of the same in many ways. If you can't control this part of my creation, what makes you think you can control this part or have jurisdiction anywhere? And that's part of it. 
But it's different than that. It's more this angle. If you think it's dangerous to approach those two wild beasts, how much more dangerous is it to approach me and to accuse me of doing something wrong? Okay, now, um, do we do that? When bad things happen to us, do we feel like somehow it ought to be different? And maybe even feel like this is so bad, surely God's going to apologize to me. <laughs> Uh, I don't think one of us would stand up and say, yeah, I think God owes me an apology. You know why? Because we're subdued. We know better than to do that. But when God doesn't give you what you want, and it goes to somebody else, it's that promotion at work, or you didn't get the raise, or you didn't get the job. You think, man, something's not right. If God didn't make you like you prefer to be, I wish He'd made me taller. I wish He'd made me shorter. I wish He'd made me thinner. I wish He'd made me bigger. I wish he'd made me with hair. I wish he had made me with this color of eyes. Well, wait a minute. Does not the God of the earth do right? Huh. I don't think you should let things be so cold on the earth. I mean, this is not Alaska. Things shouldn't be so complicated. Think about pipes freezing and causing trouble to God's people? Yeah, you think, well, the wicked people, they got it coming to them. But you know, God's people, they ought to be free from that. I got to be honest, our pipes froze on uh, Sunday night and into Monday and finally uh, thawed out on Tuesday. Um, and I thought on Monday, oh, it's my day off. You ever whine on your day off? Because you think, it's my day off. I shouldn't have to work unless I want to work. <laughs> this isn't right. Huh? Am I the only sinner in the room? <laughs> this isn't right. My house shouldn't do this. My car shouldn't do that. It ought to run all the time. And everything ought to just go smooth. And, and uh, she should say yes. And he should say yes. And things should work out. I mean, this is my Christian dream life. And it's turning out to be a nightmare. And I don't like it. Because I thought God would have. I thought he shouldn't have. I... Folks, I'm saying tonight, 
We struggle right here. I shouldn't have so much homework. If I have homework, it shouldn't be so hard. God shouldn't let that happen to the people I love. Things shouldn't be so difficult. We need to realize tonight just how great God is. He's too great to be judged by me. Everybody hear that? And he's too great to be judged by you. We do not hold God in check. No more than Job could have held behemoth or Leviathan in check. We do not hold God in check. If you can hold God in check, your God is too small. God is not accountable to you. And I'm saying to us tonight, just a warning and a reminder and maybe a rebuke, that it is dangerous to confront God to make your case. It is dangerous to confront God to make an effort to make your case. Adam says, the woman which you gave me. He was making his case. How did that work with God? It didn't work. Cain tried to make his case with God and it did not work. The Pharisees tried to make their case with God and it did not work. Religious pretenders tried to make their case with God and it did not work. Lord, Lord, we say unto you, we did many works in your name. Lord, Lord, and all those things. They're trying to make their case with God. And I'm telling you, you've got to be careful with the righteous and the holy God because he is just that. He is the righteous and holy God. And we need to be careful in the way that we approach him. I'm not just talking about in a time of prayer. I'm talking about the way that we think about him and the way that we live our lives. And, and we need to be mindful of, of who he is. And, and we may think, well, like Jonah was, I do right to be angry. I do right to be mad. You let the Ninevites go. He was making his case before God, but he was way out of line. I do right. I do right to be upset because now look at my bald head. It's all burnt up. He was making his case before God when the gourd was taken away. Something as small as that. Nadab and Abihu tried to come before God their own way. So did Korah and Dathan as they, they were making the case that we ought to be like Moses and, 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 uh, and his brother and, and we ought to have positions like they do. Why don't we? They were trying to make their case before God and I'm telling you, the earth opened up and swallowed them up. Hey, listen, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a, of a great and majestic God. It's dangerous to confront God to make your case. God, I wished. God, I thought. God, you shouldn't have. It's dangerous to make a case before God like that. So since it's dangerous to confront God, here's the solution. It's better to come before God humbly to say, Dear God, I may not understand, but I know you can only be good and only right. And you're full of mercy and grace. And I, I don't want to come across here in your presence as though demanding because I don't deserve anything. But I want to come humbly into your presence because, dear God, I desperately need your help in this trial. Amen. 
He resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. It's hard for me to think Job was being proud in any way because I think so much of Job. But God knew how Job was coming across and that it needed to be corrected. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let me ask you tonight. Is there any way or in any area where you're coming before God? You know, we wouldn't say in a confrontational way. But the thoughts that I'm having towards God are rather confrontational. And if that's the case, we need to be mindful of this, who He is. Monday I had to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be upset. My pipes are made just like everybody else's pipes. They'll freeze. Water in this house is just like anybody else's house. You got what I'm saying? Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I'm thankful that God in in the small moments of irritation and then the ones that we've struggled with or that you've struggled with for years, I am so grateful that God doesn't give us what we really deserve. And I'm thankful He does not unleash His fury on us because none of us would be here, Hattie. I'm thankful that He's patient and loving to help us learn what it means to trust Him in the trial. Let's stand together here tonight. Dear Lord, tonight I thank You for all of Your ways. They can only be righteous and true. And though we may not understand all your ways, just like Job didn't understand, it nonetheless changed who you are and what you were doing. You've provided us insight as to what was going on in Job's life. But we don't have that advantage in life in general, whether it's small irritations of dealing with the weather or big Issues of life that deal with heartache and, and disappointment from the circumstances of life that seem to sometimes bear down. But God, I know you know what's behind all that. And we can simply trust you and receive your help and submit to your authority and your leadership. And so I pray that you'd help us in receiving your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.